Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. Do you manage a sales team? Do you sometimes find yourself struggling with that? Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook on sales management. In it, you'll discover the top 10 challenges or problems that sales managers and sales VPs experience and what you can do to solve them. Be sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 240. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and today I am speaking to the Vice President of Global Accounts at Security Scorecard, which is a global leader in cybersecurity ratings. Um, Their vision is developing a new language for measuring and communicating security risk, obviously a big topic in the world today. Our guest is also a startup advisor, keynote speaker, and enterprise sales leader, and has consistent experience as a top 1% sales professional. On LinkedIn, he shares his top 1% sales tips. You'll want to make sure to check those out after listening to this show. He is also a member of the Revenue Collective Think Tank, and he is our neighbor based right in the heart of New York City. So our guest today is Paul Salamanca. Welcome to the show, Paul. Elizabeth, thanks so much for having me on. It's it's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to, to have this conversation with you. I'm excited to have you as well. Um, you know, you're you're doing a lot in in the selling space. Obviously, yourself as an individual contributor and as a leader, but also sharing with the world. And so, this is a great opportunity to kind of learn about both of those. But I started with sharing some of those, you know, resume bullets about you. But I'd love to hear you introduce yourself to our listeners. Um, if you could just let us know where did where did you develop the passion for selling and for what it is that you're doing, and how have you gotten to where you are today? Sure. So uh, when I was in college, I started my first business selling uh, locally to local business owners door to door. And I think one business owner at the time said, wow, you're, you're a real good salesperson. And I didn't know, I, I didn't really take that as a compliment. Sales was kind of a dirty word. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't know how to take that. And then mm-hmm. the more I started to um, to actually do business, I realized like, well, I, I am pretty good at this sales thing. Um, so a couple of years later, I went from uh, a local business to over 2,200 colleges and universities. So I had to quickly ad- had to adapt from knocking on doors to a longer sales cycle, calling on Fortune 1000 companies and fine-tuning my prospecting approach. So um, since, obviously, I, I couldn't knock on doors anymore, I had to pick up the phone <laughs> and practice my uh, cold calling techniques. Um, I had to practice my presentation skills. So the great thing about sales is that you get an immediate feedback loop. So I wasn't sure if I was doing everything 100% by the book. I didn't know what the book was, but I was just going off of instinct. So the great thing about, let's say, making a cold call is get hung up on and right at that moment you you can then analyze well why did i just get hung up on what did i say there what could i have said differently and then you kind of go back to the drawing board and uh you fix that piece and it gets you you realize on the next call it gets you a little bit further um and then you say okay well how do i get even better than that so it's it's sales is great gives you an immediate feedback loop a way to get better um, so I took, I took those raw skills and I quickly got into an, uh, enterprise sales and outside sales role. Um, 23, 24 years old, I was by far the youngest salesperson on the sales floor. And that's when I really started to take off because I had a lot of raw talent, but I had great mentors at my first uh, landing spot, my first company. 
and they gave me the corporate structure I really needed. They were think, teaching me how to think strategically, and it was just uh, mind-blowing. I was like, wow, this is completely a, on a whole nother level. Um, and then I started to take my – so I was really good at getting uh, the company in front of uh, top-level, C-level executives, and um, I still needed to mature my, my presentation skills. So I learned mm-hmm. that from a lot of the great people a lot of great people at that company. Um, and then I, I just quickly adapted, right? So being a, being a business owner, as you know, I mean, it's tough to, um, it's, it's tough to think about not only sales, but marketing and accounts receivables and, and so many different things. And when I got into a sales role, I said, okay, now I just have to focus on sales. And I was kind of shocked that somebody would pay me a salary just to walk in the door before I even sold something. Um, so that gave me a little bit more of a breathing room and I could just focus on selling. So to me, it was a nice change. It was it was a, a breath of fresh air um, and, and I enjoyed that. And then from there, I went on to, to sales leadership and then back to, you know, so over 16 plus years in sales, uh, I've been toggling back and forth between being a top 1% individual contributor uh, back to uh, a sales leader. And now, as you mentioned, I'm the VP of Global Accounts for Security Scorecard. I, I love that thread that you, it sounds like identified relatively early where you maybe had some negative um, impressions about the idea of selling. And a lot of times people have that stereotype of, you know, you used car salesman um, yep. or whatever, whatever negative stereotypes that they might have. Um, but then once you started selling, you recognize, and I think this is the power of sales and it's what makes it different from almost every other job there is where you do have such immediate direct results and you can make changes and implement that immediate feedback loop right away. Like you said, you can go on a call and say one thing and see how it works and you're not happy with it. So you can make another call literally right away and say something different. And it's it's one of the careers that lets people learn and grow so incredibly quickly. That's right. Because of that. Because you're you're constantly um, exploring and constantly, you know, trying new things. And I feel like if you have the personality that finds that intriguing and and you know if you're very curious and you like to learn and you like to be out there in the world um hopefully people can hear from from what you've just been sharing they're like oh that that sounds kind of interesting that sounds like something i might want to do i agree and it's uh unfortunately people don't make it that long to um to actually reap those benefits where um, they get discouraged very easily if they first get into sales with uh, a lot of the no's um, but if you could get past the no and just, especially in the beginning, be okay with the no's and, and understand, um, you know, almost leave the results off the table and say, how, how many no's can I get? How fast can I get no's? Because the more no's you get, that means the quicker you, you'll actually get to a yes. Um, but so many people, it's easy to get discouraged I remember when I first started, um, even before picking up a phone or before knocking on on a door or going into a new business, you, you almost start to psych yourself out. We're like, oh, I don't uh-huh. know if this person really wants to talk to me, right? They probably have better <laughs> things to do today. And um, but then after a while, you get over it, and then you realize, like, if you really believe in what you're selling and, and and how you could help somebody, then you you don't look at yourself as as someone that's disrupting or disturbing somebody. You're looking at yourself as someone who can help another business. 
Absolutely. There's there's a couple things there. Um, first of all, we, we've often told people in trainings, don't try to read people's minds. You yep. know, um, it, you're saying, I think this person doesn't want to meet with me. I think I'm an, I'm, you know, a pest. I think I'm in the way. And you're literally just try, you can't read their mind. You have absolutely no idea. You might be their savior today. You might be the exact person that they needed to talk to. And because you didn't make the call, they don't have the solution that's going to save their business. Um, so, so often I love that you, they use the expression psych yourself out because that's exactly what it is. Um, and then just that idea of, of giving up before, you know, once you hear not enough no's, you haven't done enough to, to really know if you can give up. And I think so often people give up right before they were going to see the big success. And, um, you know, you do have to be careful about, you know, sunk cost fallacy and all of that. And, and you don't want to continue with something if you've really given it every possible effort and you're not seeing any progress. But so often people don't even give it a chance. And, you know, you get one no and you think, okay, that's the end of it. I'm just not cut out for this. Um, Talk to any successful salesperson. I've got one on the podcast here right now. And they'll tell you they've heard no more than once or twice. Um, The key is that you keep going. And, um, you know, not necessarily with that specific prospect, but you keep going. There's a lot more fish in the sea, as that's they say. Exactly right. and, and that's when that's when psychology gets into play too. Uh, I think a lot of the top salespeople are very, um, very positive, and they may not naturally be positive, but um, they've they've programmed themselves to say a lot of different affirmations and things to themselves. Because when you hear no all the time, every day, for months, for years. Um, you, you just have to understand it's not personal. So um, mm-hmm. you know, keep keep telling. So the, your your mind has a tendency to kind of go down the path of I'm not good enough. This is not really my thing. Why am I even doing this? Instead, you can force your mind to say different things. Like um, you know, I um, I I believe in the perfect outcome of every situation. I'm great at what I do. I love myself. I love sales. Like different things like that really help, right? So when you're going through a tough time, it's just really important to, to keep that, those affirmations in mind. Absolutely. Now, something that's really interesting about you, um, because you were able to succeed at this, and a lot of people aren't, is you made a really difficult leap that we see so often people fail at, which is you you went from being a top salesperson to being a strong sales leader. What are some of the key lessons that you learned in that transition? Yep. So I've done that a couple of times where um, you, you kind of master the art of selling and then selling becomes so routine and you enjoy helping customers, but you lose that thrill of actually bringing in a new customer. I never thought I would lose that excitement, um, but, but you do. Uh-huh. You do it so often, and, um, and, and then you start looking at the bigger picture. You say, I'm helping – I'm helping these companies. I'm helping my customers, and it feels great. I'm doing well for for my company, um, but it's just me. I, w- I want to make a bigger impact. I, I want to help other maybe salespeople um, t- to get better at their jobs, right? And and to help more customers. So making that leap, I think the biggest one of the biggest challenges is trying to then do that yourself instead of taking a step back and coaching and allowing someone else to make those mistakes because that's usually how they learn a lot faster. So that would say that's probably the, the first kind of uh, roadblock that, that a lot of people tend to run into when they go from individual contributor to, to management. 
absolutely. We see so often that the manager basically tries to tries to do one of two things, and it's both with that same mindset. First of all, sometimes they constantly rescue. So they'll be sitting in on a call or going on a meeting with somebody, and they see something start to go wrong. And because they're working from a space of kind of scarcity, of, of you know desperation, whatever it is that's driving it, they just jump in and close on that person's behalf. Yeah. And it, certainly there are times when that does make sense and sometimes you do need to rescue, but then you really need to have a good debrief afterwards. Ideally, you're in a place where you have enough space. You've got enough opportunities out there. You're not feeling um, that sense of scarcity that you're going to let the person learn the lesson. And then they might actually be able to dig themselves out of it. Um, you know, even having one bad meeting doesn't necessarily mean you'll lose that piece of business. Um, it might be a little harder, yep. but, you know, sometimes you got to let them fail for themselves. But then also sometimes we see that managers expect that they're going to turn their people into clones. And especially yeah. new young managers, they think I was successful doing ABC. So I need everybody on my team to do ABC, but they're a different person from you. And what, what succeeds for you might not be the same strategy for them. That's not to say you can't learn from each other. Um, and there's certainly, you know, best practices that you can share, but their personality, their experience, their skill set is going to drive a potentially different approach. And that's perfectly okay. And and you're actually going to be really hampering people if you expect to turn them into kind of clones of yourself. <laughs> that, that's another great point. So that was another kind of um, almost uh, revelation where I, I would say, wow, um, this person's successful and he's or she is completely different than I am. Mm-hmm. And and it's okay, everyone, and you realize everyone has their own style and, and you start to encourage that. Just be yourself. Inject your own personality. Some people are funnier than others. Some people are a little quirkier and that works with some people. You're not going to get along with everybody. Uh, but to your point, there has to be some sort of uh, foundation, fundamental. Sales is still sales. Um, so you're, you're still able to coach in a way where you could point out different areas of improvement, but then encourage them to do it in a way that they feel most comfortable doing it. Absolutely. Having, having something like a consistent sales process where we say, you know, you need to do these things. This is the process for, you know, responding to an RFP, or these are the key things that must be communicated in the demo, um, or whatever it is that that's required to complete your sales process. But then say, hey, you know, we know you're an individual, we know you have a certain approach. Some people are going to be kind of silly, some people are going to be kind of sarcastic, some people are going to be very much just the facts. (laughs) And whatever, whatever works for you. And it's key. It has to work. If it's not working, then I think there's a lot of room to say, hey, let's look at some different styles of different members on the team that are maybe seeing more success. And it's it's okay to say, you know, I, my natural approach doesn't seem to work in our market and I'm going to adjust or sometimes even I'm just not going to be a fit in this market. Um, that's perfectly fine. But so often we see people try to stifle the natural style and natural personality of individuals on the team. And if you let them shine, it's to me, it's so fun and interesting when I see a sales team and they're all completely different. They have really different styles and approaches and they're all successful. And then they can each learn from each other and become more interesting and have a more varied approach instead of being so set in their ways. Yeah, there's studies on that too. You're 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 100% correct. There's studies on that uh, showing that if you have a sales team of, of the same type personality, um, 
of your most successful sales rep, that, that won't make the entire sales team successful. They actually feed and learn off of each other if they were all different. Um, so, so that's exactly right. Exactly. And it's um, it's related to studies of um, of diversity driving so many different kinds of innovation and creative thought. Um, I was putting together um, an ebook and a talk actually on innovation and something that's really interesting about this and it's somewhat counterintuitive, but this really applies in, in sales as well is people a lot of times think, okay, I've been told that I need to have a diverse team. And that makes sense because I'm going to bring in a different person and they will have different ideas. So if I've got a team and it's all men and I feel like I should add a, a woman's perspective, I'm going to bring in a woman and that the woman will have new ideas that the men would not have. Yeah. But what actually happens is yes, that happens, right? If you bring in a person of a different race, a different background, a different gender to most people on your team, they will have new ideas because of their unique experiences. But what actually happens, and that's more powerful, is just by having somebody different around, your existing team becomes more creative. Yeah. They come up with new ideas and different approaches because they're thinking a little more deeply before they do things. That's and right. so the impact, it's not just on that one magical person that you're going to hire and they're going to have all these new ideas, but it's really about um, just the change that it makes to the whole team and the whole environment that you have. So it's a really exciting thing um, when you when you can you know look at your team and think about that diversity again whether it's an experience or or style or uh, personality or you know gender or race or whatever it might be and really think about it if, if you've got a team that all looks like clones okay. um, that's going to be a really difficult team to make be successful yeah no what yeah, i agree and um you know going back to the initial uh point that you made of, of allowing people to make mistakes i think some of the best meetings i've had were the worst meetings and luckily mm -hmm. my, you know as a rep my, my vp or my boss was not on those meetings because i'd walk out of those <laughs> meetings early on and say wow that was terrible i have to fix that fast usually it's when i'm first starting a new job or something and mm -hmm. um I'm, I'm you know so if, if if I was judged on those meetings, I probably wouldn't have a job, right? Because they were terrible. Um, but at the same time, so I, I, I've noticed that one of the big things at the end of a meeting, let's just you know throw out an example, is is talking about next steps and. A lot of reps, uh, especially a lot of younger reps, they feel like, wow, this conversation is going great. If they want to talk for another, I know we only slotted an hour. If they want to talk for another half hour, hour, let's do it because that's a great sign. And many times that's not what you want, right? You want to leave the meeting on a high note and then talk about next steps maybe 10 minutes before the end of your allotted time. Um, so, I, I, you know, there was, there's situations where um, I, I, I've noticed, let's say, a couple of reps not doing that at, at, in my prior life, right? So I would say, okay, let's make sure 10 minutes before we give them a heads up and we start talking about next steps because that's really important, right? You don't want to have to start chasing after the meeting once everyone's rushing out of the room to say, oh, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll, we'll lock something down. Just email me. And then next thing you know- it takes two weeks. <laughs> and, and then they're, they're, they're almost like a, a brand new prospect again because you don't have Absolutely. it on the calendar. Um, and there are times where I'm just sitting there and I know, okay, we're not going to discuss next steps. They're about to close their laptops and they're about to walk out of the room and I just have to let it happen. But if it happens a couple of times after talking about it, then to your point, you rescue. And then you start to realize, right, does this person, is this po person coachable? Right. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, 
yeah. So those are things where it, it's tough to to let happen, but but that's that's uh, a good way for for someone to learn. Absolutely. And it's, you know, I, that balance between how often do you let it happen? Um, you know, certainly if it's like the biggest opportunity you have, you're, you're hopefully not going to, not going to let that slide. But if, if you've got a lot of opportunities out there, this is a relatively small one. If it does completely tank the opportunity, it's not the end of the world. And sometimes people need to learn through, through the really hard lessons of actually losing an opportunity. And, um, I love that you especially pointed out if you're coaching and you're you're providing this feedback and you're practicing meeting agendas and you know that the person is trained to get the next step before people are running out the door and they're still not doing it, then you have a different issue. And then you do have um, some sort of evaluation of are they coachable? Are they trainable? Did they just not get this? Are they do they think they're doing it? But they, they don't really know how, um, you know, do we need to just practice it more or or are they potentially not going to be a fit on the team? And all of those are potential options, um, but we don't want to always just jump to that first. Instead, really, really thinking through, um, you know, h- how how much line can I give them? How much wiggle room am I going to give them before yeah. I decide that we've got a we've got a big problem? Okay. Um, and, and many, many times a lot of, um, especially if it's a new technique, that that shouldn't be an issue. Right? Talking about next steps should be pretty basic. But <laughs> if, if you're earlier in your career, you may know what to do, but may it, it, it still takes, it still takes confidence in yourself and your skills to cut someone off or not cut someone mm-hmm. off, but almost interrupt a conversation that's going really well just to to let people know that we're running out of time. And so they may, a lot of people may know what to do, but they just may not have the ability to execute. Absolutely. And that's a, that's a really great observation too, where it's kind of a confidence issue a lot of the time. And you've got somebody who's a little more junior and they think I've got the prospect talking. I'm not going to shut them up. I'm not going to redirect, but one of the best things that you can do as a salesperson and a, a really strong sign of a, of a good salesperson versus mediocre is to be able to effectively drive a conversation. And that doesn't mean just rudely cutting them off, but how do you gracefully and elegantly and perfectly appropriately say, hey, guys, it looks like we're, we're starting to wind down. Um, I know that, you know, I want to respect your schedules. Let's talk about what the next steps might be. Wow, that sounded great, Elizabeth. Are you <laughs> Almost like I've been doing this for a few years. <laughs> yeah, almost like you had some practice. All right. Well, something else that I know you have a lot of experience in, and I'd love to share with our audience, is grooming a successful sales team. Because as you noticed, when you're in sales, you're getting your joy, you're getting your satisfaction, you're getting your energy from bringing in that new customer. And ideally, once you've transitioned into leadership, you're getting that same satisfaction and joy out of seeing your team develop and grow. So if um, what are some of the best practices that you've learned over time to help leaders uh, develop and, and improve their teams? Okay, uh, good question. I would say now with technology, um, it's a lot easier to coach and to, to, mm-hmm. to see gaps, especially if you're using like Gong or, or uh, Chorus or, you know, Outreach. Um, you're, you're able now, you don't have to be on the actual meeting to, um, you know, to listen to key points. Mm-hmm. So 
if um, if someone says, "Oh, that meeting was really that meeting or that call went really well," um, you could start to talk about next steps. And if the next steps that you talked about before the meeting um, didn't come to fruition, then you know the call probably didn't go really that well. Something must have happened. Um, so you get to listen in on the, on the back half of that meeting to to hear. Why, why, why those next steps weren't achieved and then um, maybe talk you know talk to the rep about those gaps or let, let's break it down more let's let's drill down here and get a little specific so um, the the tough part about grooming your team is that you also have to hit hit a number right every quarter mm-hmm. every, every quarter uh, every year so um, that's that's a very difficult balance for everybody Um in, in any VP of sales. So one way um, that I like to do it is is look at um, um, look at the team almost like a, a uh, let's say a baseball team where you have you have your free you have your free agents that you could sign on your all stars that have proven to 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 put up the numbers every single year mm-hmm. and you know um, you know their career is on the back half. They're probably at the back half of their career. They may not stay on your team forever. Ideally, you can keep them happy and keep them on board for for many years. Uh, but you can't bank on that. But you, but you can use them as anchors. So now they're on your team. They may need some little a little ramp up time to understand the industry. But you know they could sell, and um, you can maybe tweak some some things here and there just to make them run a little bit faster. But your goal is to take as much work off their plate, um, so they could do their thing and help execute and um, you know hit the numbers while you're kind of working that farm system mm-hmm. that will sort of backfill. Uh, these all-stars and you're grooming your own all-stars and and the unfortunate part for VPs of sales is I think the average tenure now dropped down to about 14 months for for VP of sales so many times that VP of sales would would spend a lot of time and energy grooming um, grooming that farm system only for someone else to come in after them to reap those benefits but um, you know it's a long it's a longer term mentality so Let's say if if that were to happen, um, and it, you, if you really helped them and groomed them and treated them well, who's to say they won't follow you in your next company or the company after that, right? And now they're really primed to be that all star for you, um, and then you could keep that cycle going. Uh, but at the same time, you also want want some mixture too. So as you're grooming your SDRs or BDRs to be inside sales reps, and your inside sales reps to be account executives, field enterprise reps, field reps, uh, every stage, every transition, there is a big learning curve. There's a big learning curve going from setting meetings to now actually figuring out how to bring in business. There's a big learning curve from being the top inside salesperson to now being uh, an effective outside salesperson. There's Absolutely. Different motions, and that's going to take time to do. So, uh, you you know, while you're looking to groom everybody at the same time, you still have to hit your numbers. So you don't want the entire team to be promoted because there is that learning curve. So you, you still want to bring in free agents on the outside from the outside uh, to either be your all-stars in the, as, as an outside sales rep, inside sales rep, um, and maybe even some SDRs. I, I love that analogy. I'm less a baseball person, more of a hockey person, but the, okay. the analogy stands. <laughs> and you're right. I, it, it's so important. And, you know, as a, as a sales leader, 
um, we, we're seeing the same thing that, that you are. You know, the, the tenure is definitely short because it is, I would say, one of the most challenging and stressful positions in the organization. You, you get the pressure from above from leadership, you know, why aren't you bringing in numbers? Why aren't you hitting targets? Um, you know, grow, 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 sell, sell, sell. Um, yeah. And then you're getting the pressure from your team. Uh, my, my goals are too high. Uh, our product isn't working right. Um, you know, whatever it might be uh, that, you know, all the excuses valid and, and maybe sometimes a little less valid uh, about why they're not selling. It's, it's difficult. It's stressful. Um, and it, it doesn't always work out. But um, that, that point that you made about, you know, y- you never know what seeds you're planting. Let's say you're the one who hired and developed somebody and you got them from, um, you know, junior or even sales support. And then they moved into inside sales and then they, they grew into an enterprise sales rep. They will never forget you and the work that they did with you. And even if it's not an opportunity now or even anytime necessarily really soon um having people out in the world that you contributed to in that way is never a bad thing and um and and yet balancing that with you know hitting the number short term with um you know doing doing what you need to do to to be successful in your current role it's I, i think that's that's what makes the job challenging it's also what makes it fun when you can be successful but um there's there's definitely a, a good reason i think why why people aren't necessarily lasting um you know 10 15 20 years in that role and there's a whole nother side to that too to to, to make it even more challenging for a vp of sales let's say you absolutely um exceed expectations you take a, a early stage startup from zero or 5 million to 10 to 15 to 20 million. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately you're almost, um, you're almost cannibalizing your own career at that company because now the board's going to look at you and say, wow, this guy did a great job. Thanks for taking us here. We need to find (laughs) someone else that can take us to 50 million to 75 to a hundred million. So yeah, a lot of different challenges. Yeah. And, and it's something that um, sometimes it's maybe an inaccurate assessment and sometimes it is actually correct because, you know, there are people who are good at developing a system and a process and aren't good at being the one to then implement that system and process after it's developed. And there are people that are good at building a business and not very good at running a business. And when you see situations like what happened at Google and what, what happens at so many companies where the original founders get it to a certain place and then they bring in somebody with more of a kind of business mindset to run it, um, a lot of times that is what's necessary and yeah. and can help, can help make things successful. But if you know something just for our CEOs and and other executives who are listening if you've got a, a sales lead who got you to where you are um, you know you don't want to necessarily give up on them if you've got big growth goals because they were able to to grow you to you know to the stage that you've that you've hit and you don't want to necessarily give up on them too quickly um, but it's yeah. it's it's a give challenging a thing and give them a shot to do it and a lot yeah, of times, yeah. and, a lot of times the CEOs get get a ton of pressure from the board, and the board want, yep. wants to recommend somebody that's very good at taking a company from twenty five to fifty, right, or fifty yeah. to hundred. Um, so that's that's all understandable. It's just um, just part of the game, I guess. Definitely, but everybody had to do it for a first time at some point. That's so, exactly right. Um, <laughs> you know, you could be you could be the person who ends up being somebody who could get you from twenty to two hundred million, right. and um, you just hadn't done it until then. Um, That's a good point. 
All right. Well, something else that's interesting about you, and I think um, it's actually how we found you, and probably how other people may have may have heard of you, is that you've developed a really successful presence on LinkedIn as a contributor. And I know that there are a lot of salespeople and sales leaders who are curious about how can I use LinkedIn effectively and efficiently to um, to you know build maybe a personal brand or or drive successful sales. What are some things that you've learned about um, about you know strategies to be successful there what, without that kind of taking over your life? Sure. So I started posting maybe about six months ago. And um, I started to see things at that time with my with my former team where I felt like, okay, that's a teaching moment. Um, but I said, let me share it to the team. And I was like, you know what? Let me just share it on LinkedIn. And um, it started to gain some traction. So um, I said, let me let me just be a little more consistent with it. Let me. I made a commitment to myself to post once a day in the morning every day for. You know, let me see if I could do this for 30 days. Um, but every day you realize, wow, that's a teaching moment. Okay, I could just talk about that when I wake up in the morning. Um, okay. And then after, after, uh, after a while you realize, like, wow, that's helping more than just my team. That's helping many other people. I think now I get close to 2 million views, if sometimes more than that a month, just on posting once a day um, on LinkedIn. So um, it can get time consuming, which is not what you want, right? You don't want that LinkedIn post to take away from your from your um, main focus. So I said to myself, okay, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to post uh, in the morning, usually around the same time, around seven, seven o'clock a.m. And then um, while I'm either commuting or or um, you know um, getting ready for my day, or in between lunch or during lunch, I will engage. And maybe when I get home, um, but I, I didn't want that to affect my my daily routine. And that became my daily routine. So post in the morning, um, a little engagement in the morning, engagement at lunch, and then engagement after work. Um, and that seems to be working out pretty well. And I'm excited. And it helps, you know, it helps me get creative. It helps me think about things. And um, I, I enjoy the feedback from people who are actually seeing value from it. So it's 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 pretty cool. I love that. And I think there's there's maybe two big principles that I heard in what you were sharing. Number one is it's something that added value. You recognized that it was a way you could add value to your team and you thought, well, if this adds value to my team, this could add value to people out there. So, you know, you're not just going on there and saying, you know, this is a silly example, but here's what I had for breakfast today. Um, yeah. Or, you know, here's this, this random thought that I'm thinking. It's really, it's a teachable moment. It's something that, that contributes. And that's really important because you're coming from a good place and that comes through. Um, and then second, and I see this all, all, all the time, um, a salesperson, a sales leader has gotten this mandate from the other, from their manager, their VP somewhere, um, you should be do doing social selling, you should be using LinkedIn. And then they think they need to spend three hours on LinkedIn a day. Right. <laughs> and um, it, you don't need to and you shouldn't spend a ton of time on this. Um, having, a, having a cadence like that, where you're going to spend maybe 15 minutes in the morning, um, then you're going to check in and just respond to notifications, and maybe, you know, over lunch or after lunch, and then um, respond to something else that you see in your timeline that somebody else posted, you know, great comment or, or like it or whatever, um, and then checking in at the end of the day. In total, it could be maybe 30 minutes a day. This is yeah. not 
three hours. And so often people don't recognize, uh, you know, if you're in sales, your, your job is sales. <laughs> if you're in sales leadership, your job is sales leadership. Um, unless your job is social selling or unless your job is, you know, social media manager, your job is not to sit on LinkedIn for hours and hours and hours. No and doubt. so it, it can be a huge time suck. It can be yeah. a real um, actual distraction to successful selling. And so figuring out the efficient approach like you did, where again, it's about what you're posting and sharing value and contributing to people, but also um, not turning this into hours and hours and hours on LinkedIn. Because I've seen people do that. I'm sure you yeah. have as well. Yeah. And then um, what's good too is once you get that cadence down and if you have more than one person within your company doing that, um, that's great. Not only personal branding, but branding for the company. I think yeah. uh, you know any company. If you're getting two million views on your post a month, and, and now you multiply that across your team, um, that's a lot of people seeing your name next to your company's name over and over and over again throughout the day, every day for six months. So absolutely, and you know there are people who work for name brand companies that everybody's heard of, but the vast majority of people out there are not in that in that situation. Yeah, exactly. And so, if you're working for a company, whether it's because it's a startup and nobody's heard of it, or just because you know it's it's you know it, it's a small market and and you're you're not well known, a great way to become known is to again be that trusted advisor, that valuable source of, of good information in the market. And a great way to do that is to share it on social. And if you've got more than one person on a team doing it, then it's not just about a person's individual brand, it's about the company's brand. And so it's, you know, it's a good bang for your buck in terms of uh, marketing investment. Yeah, if you've free. just got people sharing uh, a little, a little bit on LinkedIn and again, not hours and hours a day, a few minutes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's a great ROI. It's absolutely free. Absolutely. All right. Um, this has been a lot of fun, Paul, and and I hope our listeners have learned as much as I have. Something that we always like to get from our guests is book recommendations. We know that a lot of people find that um, reading, whether it's business books or sales books or um, personal development or anything else, um, can be a really great way to continue their learning. So, do you have any books that you would recommend for our listeners? Yeah, so there's one book I read years ago that I think may come into play now with a potential downturn because of uh, you know coronavirus and, and the stock market and what's going on. Um, I may not be getting the title right, but uh, it was pretty interesting. And I was actually selling at, at, at that point. I was selling pretty well, but I still picked up the book and I learned a couple of good things. Uh, the book was called How to Sell When Nobody's Buying. Um, I forget who wrote that book, but I mean, that, that could... That could come in handy now in the event we do hit some sort of downturn. Um, I I like the Challenger sale. That's mm -hmm. a lot. That's my style. Uh, back in the day, was was um, doing it in the right way, right? Not not getting the customer upset on how you challenge them, but challenging in the right way. Um, combined with uh, Orin Cleft's pitch anything. So pitch anything. Orin has just got a bold style, but very unique way of of raising capital. And I, um, I kind of toned back his style a little bit, but I use a lot of uh, his tips. So he has a new book called Flip the Script that I just uh, picked up um, along with um, Mike Weinberg's Sales Truth that I just picked up and Jeb Blunt's Inked. So I'm excited to read those three books um, here within the next uh, couple of days. 
I actually had um, Mark on to talk about sales truth, and it's a, a and I got a copy of the book and, and read it in preparation of the of the discussion. And there's a there's a lot of great stuff there, so um, I can second many of your recommendations I've read. But just want to specifically mention that one. We'll include a link in the show notes to um, our discussion on that if anybody wants to learn more about uh, his book and those concepts. Cool. All right. Um, thank you so much for this time today, Paul. It has been so great to get to know you better and um, and just to, to learn so many of these great uh, lessons that you've learned through your years as a, as a top sales professional and sales leader. If you want people to learn more about you and more about your work, where should they go? They can find me on LinkedIn. So Paul Salamanca, um, I have a lot of my content on LinkedIn. I'm working right now on a project with Bravado. Uh, so Bravado is now going to take a lot of uh, my content and we're going to do some special content with uh, Bravado and, and have a place where it's, it's a lot where we're, we're not restricted by character limitations and we can drill in a lot more with videos, audios, uh, personal group training online. So that, that should be coming out pretty soon. So either LinkedIn and stay tuned for, for my profile on Bravado. All right. That sounds really exciting. Um, I I look forward to learning more about that. Um, Thanks again, Paul, so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me, Elizabeth. It's been a pleasure. All right. And thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything Paul and I have been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 240, episode 240, kind of a milestone. Be sure to tune in on Friday for another inspirational episode. And remember, uh, don't forget to check out my presentation at the International Institute for Learning's Leadership and Innovation Online Conference. That is still going until June 7th. And you can use the code Frederick, my last name, F-R-E-D-E-R-I-C-K, to get $10 off your registration. That would allow you to see my talk on nurturing an innovative team, as well as all kinds of other amazing talks about innovation and leadership by a great stable of speakers. If you're enjoying the podcast, please recommend us to a friend and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you're listening. While you're there, please leave us a rating or a review. That'll help more people find the show, and it helps us know what's working and where we have room to improve. Remember to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ariana Miskell, Laura Marchoff, Mark Krogan, and me, Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling!